pray together. Lord, we do come to You. We know that the strength of man is but weakness before You. And so we confess to You our inability this morning to have minds sharply focused on Your Word and hearts ready to receive it. We ask for Your grace now so that we would be able to trust more fully in Jesus, to walk by faith in Him, and to seek to live for Him in the power of His Gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. You'll find that on page 981 of the Pew Bible. We've, we are really about halfway through our series now on the renewed mind. We've talked about how the renewed mind, that is to say, the mind that's been made new by the Spirit of God, is able to know God, is able to meditate upon His Word, and then now we come to our sermon today where the renewed mind is able to trust in Christ. And so, read with me here, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." A woman went to see her pastor. She wanted to talk with the pastor about her marital troubles. And what she said to him was, I just can't trust that my husband loves me. And he probed a little bit to ask why. He was thinking maybe the husband has done something wrong. Maybe he hasn't loved his wife well. Maybe he hasn't pursued her. Maybe he hasn't taken time for her. But actually, it was just the opposite. Some years before, she had been unfaithful to her husband. And it had come out in the open and she confessed to him what she had done. And he had forgiven her and there was reconciliation. But in her own mind and in her own heart, she never could accept that forgiveness. And therefore, she said to the pastor, I just don't trust that He really loves me. 
And in a way, that's a parallel for many of us at times as we think about our relationship to God and wonder at times, does He really love me? Does He really forgive me? We believe the Gospel. We say that we believe the Gospel. And then at times we wonder, is the Gospel really for me? Do I really believe it myself? Now Paul here writes to the Philippians, his delight for them is that they would be filled with joy. In fact, he said back in chapter 2, verse 18, likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And therefore, he says at the beginning of chapter 3, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I think there are three main reasons why we don't rejoice in the, in the Lord. The first is probably just our circumstances that trouble us. Those things seem to make us want to have our eyes detracted from God and His graciousness so that we're so fixated on our troubles that we are no longer joyful in the Lord. The second reason is a sense of indifference to God. That our hearts grow hardened or maybe have always been hardened to His generosity towards us. All the gifts that He gives us. The very fact that we have life and breath. And even His generosity in giving His own Son. And there's a sense of hardness that leads to indifference towards Him so that we don't rejoice in Him. And then thirdly, a sense of our own corruption and God's displeasure with us because of our sin that leads us to think, surely He doesn't love me. Because you see, a wounded conscience that has no hope in the Gospel, that doesn't trust in what Christ has done on the cross for them, really would ask the question, how can I rejoice when I feel so unacceptable to God? And it's the very thing that Paul wants to remedy here so that they have joy in Him. And what he wants them to know is really what he says in Ephesians, where he speaks of how we ought to learn Christ. Learn Christ. Now that's a different type of phrase for us. We don't often think of learning Christ. And really what he means by that is that we come to know Jesus and come to trust in Jesus that His Lord and Savior of our lives. So that in confidence in the Gospel of grace, we come before the Lord knowing that He forgives us and knowing that He loves us. So Paul here wants to help them learn Christ. And the way that he does it is really by opening up his own life, opening up his own heart to the Philippians. Revealing the greatest struggle he might have spiritually, which is a sense of spiritual pride of all the things that he could trust in. And then revealing to them the greatest aim of his life, which he says in verse 10, that I may know Him, that I may know Christ. In other words, he wants to draw everyone else towards Jesus to say, come with me, I have something awesome and amazing to show you. And it's the glorious riches of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And it's this knowledge of Christ that gave him so much joy that he could say, rejoice with me. Because you see, joy in the Christian life actually comes from a sense of profound assurance 
that we really do belong to Him. Because it's what He says later on down in verse 12. He speaks of Christ has made me His own. There's a sense of security. There's a sense of assurance in trusting in Jesus. And Paul wants their joy to increase by really doing a couple of things. One is just exposing all the false things that lead to false peace. All the things that he trusted in never led to real peace and assurance in God. And then secondly, to point them to the source of real confidence, which is trusting in Christ. And so Paul here doesn't just tell us what to believe. He actually shows us what belief in Jesus looks like. And it looks like three things. One, trust Christ to give us His righteousness. We trust Christ to give us His righteousness. Now he says here, as a warning, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking here about the Judaizers. These are the people that would have the believers go back to the Jewish practice of circumcision as one sign that they're living a righteous life to be able to exalt themselves and therefore promote themselves to God and say, look at what we have done. This is our confidence. And he goes on to say this, Look out for those, for we are the real circumcision. That is to say, we have the inward realities of faith and love for God, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no confidence in anything that we can do. Where is your confidence? Where is your confidence before the Lord. Some of us desperately want to have other people around us believe that we know what we're talking about. And we want our, really to convince ourselves that we know what we're talking about. Some of us want other people to think that we are kind. That there's a real sense of integrity about our lives. That we're humble. We really want people to know that we're humble. These things are our confidence before the Lord. What are the things that you feel like you've built your heart and your life around? What are the things that if they were taken away would all of a sudden make you feel anxiety-ridden and fearful and maybe even angry how could you take these things away? And you see, when you answer that question, you find the things that you trust in aside from Jesus. I think one of the greatest defenses we use to feel spiritually confident is simply to lie to ourselves and to say, I'm not really that bad. You remember the rich young ruler he came to Jesus wanting to know what does he have to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he listed several for him. And the rich young ruler responded by saying, all of these I have kept from my youth. And that's the lie that we tell ourselves. I've, I've kept the commands. There are things worthy about me. These are my confidence before the Lord. And once we believe the lie, then we start pointing you might say at least 
at least mentally pointing to all the things that we trust in. This is what Paul did. I have more reason for confidence in the flesh than you do. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal persecuted of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. He had believed the lie that I'm not that bad. And that I'm actually pretty good. And so therefore his confidence was all in his abilities and what he could do. But the reality is, as much like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes and covering themselves with leaves, those, those efforts become wearisome, tiring. The very leaves that they put on themselves would wither and fade and they have to put more on and that's the way that it works spiritually all those things that we trust in, they wither away and we see them for what they are. We know in our heart of hearts that they're a sham. That they're not real. And we have to keep doing more and more to patch ourselves up. And it's only when we're really willing to have ourselves exposed before the Lord and the lie revealed. And to be able to trust in Jesus alone that we begin to have confidence before him look at Paul's spiritual economics here you might say in verse 7 he says whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ what gain I had that which I have benefited from these things I now count as loss in other words they're not just neutral but they're actually things that that destroy my relationship to God they're actually things that are that are counted against me in God's spiritual economics. Because it's an effort to be justified in myself. To be righteous in myself. To trust in myself rather than in God. And God says now, because of that, all those things are tainted with sin. And they actually count against you in God's final accounting of all those things. And when we come to that point of realization, then like Paul, we can say we count those things as rubbish. They're just trash. In other words, there's, there's a beginning of a holy dissatisfaction with everything else that we would place our confidence in other than Jesus. Everything that would detract us from Christ. Everything that would stand in the place of Jesus. So that now there's this singular focus that Paul has. Where he says, I want my confidence to be in no one and no thing other than in Jesus. And actually, when that begins to take place in our lives, it is a very freeing reality. Because our lives are filled and our minds are filled with so many things that we worry about and so many things that we are anxious over. And all of a sudden, God simply removes everything and He says there's a singular focus in your life. And that's to know Jesus and to be found in Him. And to have confidence in Him. And it begins to put everything else into perspective. And all the things that I've worried about and, and wondered if I don't have that or if I don't do that or if I'm not that kind of person. And those anxieties and fears to be, begin to go away all because we are confident in Jesus. And that's what Paul says here in verse 9. 
He says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I don't want my own righteousness anymore to be my confidence before the Lord. That's what he says here. Not having a righteousness of my own. But rather having the righteousness of Jesus. that comes by faith in him. So that now he says I'm found in him. Clothed you might say. Cloaked. In all the goodness of Jesus. So that when God looks at me. He, he sees Christ. Shining brightly. You might remember the parable of the prodigal son when the prodigal son realizes his sin and he comes back to his father. And what does the father do? He rejoices, he, he embraces him and he says what? Put my best robe on him. Clothe him in my identity. He is my son. I love him. And that's what Jesus says to his people. I am clothing you in my righteousness. You're my child. And you're now found in me. This is what Paul could be so confident in and rejoice in. All Jesus' works now become my works. I remember when we were in seminary in St. Louis, there was lots of wealthy people in St. Louis. We lived in a neighborhood. The seminary is in a neighborhood of large wealthy mansions and a number of our friends actually worked for wealthy families and doing various jobs one friend was in a in essence an errand boy for an elderly couple who were very wealthy and his job was to go buy the groceries go shopping for their clothes go pick up their laundry and he would go to all these different stores and rather than carrying cash or or charging it on his own card all he had to simply say was, charge it to so-and-so's account. It was as if there was this infinite supply of money wherever he went. And friends, when we come to faith in Jesus, it's in a sense like that. This infinite supply of righteousness is ours this great treasure chest, and we're constantly drawing from it. And he says, it's all yours. All of my good works are yours. Put not your confidence in yourself, but put your confidence in me. And that's what it means as he says in verse 3, to glory in Christ. I'm glorying in His righteousness and not in my own. Now that means a couple of things real quick. It means one thing. Release. Release from our pride. Release from our fears of wondering, will God receive me? Release from our doubts about His love. Release from trying so hard to make other people think so well of me. But it also means this. Rejoicing, glorying in Jesus, rejoicing in what He has given to me so that now my faith is in Him and I walk humbly before Him and there's a new energy to praise God in my heart. 
So we're to trust in the righteousness that Christ gives to us, but secondly, we're to trust in Christ's Word. You notice here in verse 1, Paul writes to them, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Now evidently, Paul has already communicated these things to them. But he wants to write it again. Because Paul knows that we don't just, quote, get it the first time. In fact, there are ways in which we have to have multiple exposures to the Word of God and to the same truths over and over and over until there's the right time in which all of a sudden it begins to click and make sense with us. And so he says, the, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's safe because you need to hear it. You need to be reminded of it because our tendency is to fall back into the old patterns. And to say my confidence is in something other than in Jesus. And sometimes we think, well, I've heard that. I want to hear new things. And if that's the case, it may just be that we've never really heard the Gospel to begin with. Because you see, the Gospel of grace is such that when we hear it, if we really know Jesus, it just makes our hearts sing and we can't help but delight in it. And we want to hear it again and again and again. And the freshness of the Gospel is not in hearing some new little tidbit, but it's actually in the power of the Holy Spirit to really break open new vistas of understanding, new vistas of application, new ways of grabbing hold of the glories of what Jesus has done in His finished work on the cross. That's what makes it fresh and new for us. Here, Christ is speaking through His Apostle to His church because He wants to assure His people that salvation is dependent upon grace and nothing else. He wants us to have confidence in His saving work. And if you look throughout the Bible, you see God going out of His way again and again to give assurance and confidence to His people. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, God or Paul speaks of knowing Christ and having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which He has called you. God has enlightened the eyes of our hearts that we would behold and take hold of the glories of Jesus. And he goes on in chapter 3 to say that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow! He wants us to be filled with the fullness of God to contemplate just how much Jesus loves us. This is the work of Christ to assure His people, not just to do something and say, well, it's up to you to believe. But to say, I want to convince you, child, over and over and over of My love for you. And that you can be confident in Me. It is His delight to give assurance to sinners who are confident in Jesus. 
As Horatius Bonar said, God has taken the side of sinners against the sinner's enemy, the old serpent. He is on our side. And He wants us to know it. And He wants us to trust in His Word. That is our job. And when we begin to trust in His Word, our, our hearts are warmed towards Him. They are quickened, as we might say. So that we do rejoice in what Christ has done for us. Because you see, God's Word to us, in one sense you might say, is more real than heaven and earth. More real than heaven and earth. We think this is real because we can touch it and see it and smell it. And actually, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away before my word passes away. Isaiah says, the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Everything could pass away, but God's word to you that says, be confident in my son's righteousness. It is given to you, will never pass away. It is yours forever and ever throughout all of eternity to assure you that your confidence is rightly placed in Jesus and that He loves you. Friends, this is the great battle in the spiritual life. It's distrust of God. This is at the root of everything. Distrust that He loves me, that I'm forgiven. Distrust of His wisdom distrust of his providence in my life distrust that he gives me power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness and he says again and again look at my word the lord has spoken and if we believe that he is almighty god we believe that what he says is true for us and therefore we read it again and again and again and again and again and again until we get it as Paul says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and it's no trouble for God because He wants us, His people, to believe in it. I think sometimes we feel as though God just gets worn out with us. We get worn out with ourselves sometimes. We get worn out with other people. Maybe He has just finally had enough of me. And at that point, we need to read His Word where He says to sinners who trust and come before His Son confessing their sins, I will receive you yet again and again and again. It is His Word to us. You might think of it like seeing those 3D posters in the mall. I remember when they came out, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Everybody was so excited at them. There were kiosks in the mall and People are standing there looking at them. They're going cross-eyed looking at these things, trying to see the three-dimensional picture. And there were some people after a while who just said, forget it, I'm giving up and I'm, I'm walking on. And then there are the people who persevere. And they keep looking and they keep looking. And then slowly it starts to come into focus. And they say, I see it. And all of a sudden it makes sense and I get it. And God wants us to pursue it that way. Until we say, it's true. And it's true for me. Finally this, let me go on to this. The last point. that We want to trust Christ's ways in our lives. When, 
when we're living in trust in Jesus, then we trust His ways in our lives. Because being a disciple is following Jesus. It's following after Him in faith and love and obedience. And those who have little confidence in His love, who have little confidence in His forgiving grace, are hesitant to actually follow after Jesus in every way that He leads. But it's those who are confident in His love who will follow Him and do the very thing that Paul speaks about here. Look in verse 9. He speaks of being found in Jesus, not having this righteousness of His own. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, Why? That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now Paul wants to be found in Jesus. He wants to know Jesus. He wants to know the power of His resurrection. And that sounds glorious. To have the resurrection power of Jesus at work in my life. And then he goes on to say something quite different. And may share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. He also wants to not only share in the power of Christ, but in Christ's sufferings that he would become like him in his death. And why is that? Because you see, if you're going to have the resurrection power of Jesus worked out in your life, then you need to realize this. That the way in which it is worked out is by dying to ourselves. So that we suffer the kind of sufferings that Jesus suffered in a way that it becomes the pattern of our lives. And what He is doing is pressing us into that mold of His life so that there's pressure. In fact, when Paul speaks of rejoicing in their, his sufferings in Romans chapter 5, it's the word for pressure. And we feel it at times. There's pressure, there's heat, and it's uncomfortable. Because we're being conformed to the pattern of His life. And yet, what does He say? When that begins to take place in me, I have hope that by any means possible, no matter how painful it is, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, when I'm so confident in Jesus' love for me, I will trust Him so much, I will follow Him Anywhere. Even if it means being pressed and pressured into the mold of His own death that I might know His resurrection. You see, if we're going to know Jesus, we have to receive all of Jesus. Not just forgiveness. Not just His righteousness. But His ways in our lives too. And the more confident we are in Christ, the more willing we, willingly we just accept that reality so that even in the midst of great heart, hardship, we can rejoice in the Lord because we're confident in His ways with us. And that ultimately it leads to knowing Him and being like Him. Friends, the renewed mind is the mind that begins to contemplate all of these things. 
begins to treasure them up and says, that's what I want. And I want to trust Jesus for what He has done, for what He says to me, and for the great work that He's doing in me to make, him, make me like Himself. And so that one day I will stand before Him and know Him perfectly without hindrance and with no shame. Trust in Christ, Paul says, and that will be your great confidence and your joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we look to You. We look to You to convince us again and again by the power of Your Spirit that we belong to Jesus, that we are found in Him and we have no righteousness of our own, but we have infinite righteousness in Him. And I ask, Lord, that as we work at considering and contemplating and meditating and soaking up and believing and applying that truth in our lives, it would have a radical effect on us. And that we would be able to live lives of joy and delight in our great Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.